not a brand new series. We call it a series, but it's the entire gospel of Mark. And I don't know when we'll finish. Maybe Jesus will come back by that. But then we'll have to tell him to wait because we haven't finished chapter 16. But gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four gospels. And we want to study the gospel of Mark. I want to chew through it. And I want to work through it. And in, the, in covenant life, we do expository teaching. That means we go into the text and word for word, we work through it. So let me tell you why Mark. Because it's one of the gospels. And because the time has come, I feel led by the Spirit to just go over the life of Christ again and become familiar with the life of Christ, the person of Christ, the stories that surrounded the Lord Jesus and to walk nearby him like paparazzi and just watch him and the disciples and watch the conversations and take out your phone and Instagram Jesus. The Bible is filled with stories, and the reason it's filled with stories is because orally, that's how they passed it on, story by story. And today, preachers take a story, and they come up with a point, and they teach a point rather than tell a story. So I want to go through the stories, and many people who, uh, who come to Covenant Life, and the Lord will bring to Covenant Life, and you will bring, don't know all the stories. They don't know the past history, and we make... Uh, you know, uh, mention of these stories, like how, you know, Noah crossed the Jordan River, you know, and how Jesus climbed up on the tree, and from there he saw the promised land, you know. That's why we need to tell the stories, and we need to go over them, and find all those funny names, and maybe you'll find a name to name your child coming up. I want you to listen to the Gospel of Mark in one sitting. There's only 16 chapters. It's only a few pages. But when you read through it again and again and again, finally you begin to see the Gospel of Mark as a whole story, as a whole coverage, a complete coverage. Don't take two, three verses. Don't be like heretics. Don't be like these TV evangelists. Take two, three store, uh, words here and there and only what you like. This is not a smorgasbord. It's not a buffet. Take the whole thing and let it sink into your hearts. So we want to walk around with Jesus and we want to talk and we want to ask questions and we want to look at the psychology behind, you know, the stories and behind the conversations, behind the characters. I want to visit these every week as we meet. I want you to have a notepad. You need to have a notepad or you need to have phone notes. So even on your phone, there's notes, there's iNotes, there's other notes, Evernote. You could use something, but in one way or the other, take notes. Take notes, because what you don't write down, you will never remember. You've got to write it down. Instagram, you see something, Instagram it, tweet it. Hashtag Mark's Gospel, hashtag Covenant Life India. Be active, get the word out even before you are out. How many Gospels? One, two, three, four. Matthew, Luke, Matthew, Luke, John. Four Gospels, four cameras. Four angles on Christ. Four gospels, four cameras, four angles on Christ. Matthew, he was an accountant. He was a chartered accountant. And he was a tax collector. And he, he basically looked at the whole thing in filing, right, in filing cabinets. And he basically took all of Jesus' parables, put it together, all of Jesus' genealogy, put it together, all of Jesus' words and, and lessons and put it together. And he was very cut and dry. It sounded more like, a, you know, like an accountant putting the gospel together. 
But he was more interested in the lineage, the kingship lineage of Jesus, the royal lineage of Jesus. So he went back to Adam and traced Adam all the way back through David, King David, all the way down to Jesse. And then that was, uh, sorry, Jesse David's father, and then David, and then Joseph, you know Joseph, and Joseph, and then Jesus. He traces the whole thing back. So Jesus traces all the way back to David, and then all the way back to Adam. And you've got two chapters of genealogy. Mark, chuck it. Mark doesn't even bother. He goes straight into Jesus, son of God. Khatam. That's it. That's all we care about right now. So Mark is a different character, but Matthew's looking at Jesus the king. Jesus his majesty. Mark is looking at Jesus who's come in the flesh. So he's the son of man. 14 times he covers the son of man, son of man, son of man. Chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 14. He keeps on talking about how Jesus is God, but he's taken on flesh. And in the flesh, he's kicking Satan out of the territory has taken and as he works through the land as he works through the people people of Israel and the, and the Judea and Gentile area around there he begins to take land and take people do you know what I mean he cast out demons and he healed he cast out demons and he healed what was he doing sickness came because of sin and the demonic realm the spirit realm has taken over is here and is currently looking after or not looking after but ravaging the world so he came in, in the flesh, and he wanted you and me to know that in the flesh, I have authority to forgive. In the flesh, I have ability to heal. In the flesh, I can tell Satan to drop dead, and he will. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. I mean, you don't want to get to heaven, stand in front of God and realize, Are, all those years I was struggling with that sickness, I could have prayed it away. All those years I was struggling with that relationship, there was strength there was strength. All those years I thought it was my mother-in-law, but it was the devil. <laughs> so to go and stand in front of God and then realize that a lot of it was what was from the devil, what was from the flesh, what was, was prayer, will, prayer way obey. Prayer way able. Prayer way able. Go teach that to your grandchildren today. It was prayer way able. You don't want to stand in front of God and realize you had far more power. You don't want to stand in front of uh, the doctor and realize that all along the medicine was in your pocket and you didn't do anything about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? So when you look through Mark and you read through Mark, you're going to see the son of man, human, is able to do all these things, which means the power has been given to him and in his name we can pull it off. So Mark talks about Christ's incarnation as the second Adam to reclaim uh, creation. And he comes in and he takes ground. Luke, Luke's more, Luke was a doctor. Luke was more interested in the humanity of Christ, the healings and all the medical side of things. And he gets into the details of all of that. And Luke uh, talks about his suffering and his humanity. John talks about the love of Jesus, the love of the Father, the love of Jesus for the Father, love of Father, for the Jesus, love of the Father for the world, love of the world for... The Gospel of John. And by the way, Acts is Luke, Luke part 2. You know that, right? Acts is Luke part 2 because Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. And it's actually a continuation. So the life of Christ and the church. The life of Christ and the church. Now, who was Mark? Who was Mark? Don't say my cousin. Now, both Peter and Paul, who were apostles... Peter was an actual one of the 12. Paul came in later. Both were apostles. 
they took on a second generation of leaders. And these guys, he said, come here, you come with me. We're going to go traveling. We're going to go ministering together. So Paul took Luke. So Luke followed him as his secretary. Luke followed him, helped him in all that he was doing. And Peter took Mark. Mark was his surname, and his first name was John. But to complicate matters, they threw, not to complicate matters, they threw the word John out and just settled with Mark. But here we already have one John. Both confusing Let's stick with Mark. So we call him Mark, but his name is actually John Mark. It's kind of like our South Indian thing, no? He goes, John Mark, and then the son becomes Mark John, and then they just go around in circles. It's kind of like that. So Luke and Mark are two such men who later wrote two of the Gospels. So two of the four Gospels weren't even written by direct disciples. They were written by second-generation disciples, which emphasizes how important it is for, our, uh, for, for us to make disciples. And they accompanied them in travel and service. They went all over the place. Now listen very carefully. Mark's Gospel is said to be the oldest Gospel in terms of chronology, the first Gospel, the first account of Christ's life and works. And it's vivid, it's dramatic, it's exciting. It's full of stories in its literary style. So we want to read it like that. So here's some hints, some, some tips on how to get the most out of Mark. You've got to stick with the whole series, by the way. You've got to come to church. You have to come to church. Second thing, don't tell me I'll catch it on video and all that. All that doesn't work. You need to sit with me in the presence of God, and we need to do this. And worship has to set our hearts right, and then we look at God's word. Mark's gospel is said to be the oldest. Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant of the Lord. The suffering servant of the Lord. And his focus, listen, his focus was more the works of Christ, not so much the teachings of Christ. Got it? Mark focused on the works of Christ, not so much the teachings of Christ. Now you go to Matthew, you go to John, I think there's a lot of teachings, what Jesus taught, what Jesus said. But over here, he's just what Jesus did. He was very enthused in the flesh. How did he have so much power, so much authority? How did he do these things? How did he reclaim uh, sickness and bring it back to health, etc., etc.? Emotions, human limitations, uh, human side of the Son of God. Therefore, he takes the Son of God, which is the Messianic title, and then he gives the other title, uses the other title, Son of Man, which is also a Messianic title. Okay, so how do you read the book of Mark? You need to put on your creative glasses. You need to put on your creative glasses and read with the imagination. You need to read with the imagination. When you're reading the text, first of all, shut your phone off. Send all your family to the market. You know, give them a, give them a list of things that are not available there and send them to the market, okay? Send them to the Emporio. They can't afford anything there, but they'll, they'll be there forever. Send them out and take your own sweet time. Work through a, 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 a passage or work through a version that you like. If ESV is too heavy for you, because you went to, I don't know, what school, um, go with NLT, go with uh, New Century, Century Version. There's so many easy reading scriptures. Text me, I'll tell you about that. So you read with creative glasses, with imagination. Visit the place, go to those places, ask questions, check it out. Okay, now next, you need to see it through Christ's eyes. So as we follow Christ around, we're trying to see the, what is Jesus seeing? What is Jesus seeing? Why do I say this? It's because Jesus is son of God and Jesus is son. Come on, people. Jesus is son of God and Jesus is son of man. Correct. So he is God in the flesh and he is flesh with God's eyes. So he knew when the devil was active. He knew what sin was not in God's will. He knew what person could come to Christ, could get saved, could be healed. He knew who's not going to, and he didn't waste his time with them. You see what I'm saying? 
He gives you an understanding of how to walk in the spirit. The Bible says he was prompted by the spirit. He was led by the spirit. He was prompted by the spirit. So you understand what it's like to be in the flesh, but yet have eternal life. To be in the flesh and yet have perspective into the spirit world. Into the spirit world. Into, into what Satan is doing. To know that you have authority in the flesh, but you also have authority in the spirit realm. He says, don't rejoice that you, that, you, that you have power over demons, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So you do have power over the spirit realm. And to be able to pray in the flesh and for our needs, and to be able to pray in the spirit and, and, and war in the spirit, and to be able to be victorious in both areas, you need to shut down the flesh for a little while. Shut down the flesh, all the apps, all the apps. Shut it down and just get into the spirit and say, Lord, what, what, what's happening around me? What's happening in my office? What's happening? And you need to see through Christ's eyes. Because when Jesus walked about, he knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. And he was able to deal accordingly. The physical and the spiritual realm. You need to search for examples of Christ's meekness in service. Christ's meekness in service. Big verse in Mark. For the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then you look at the humanity of the Lord Jesus. Let's look at the text real quick. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. So he avoids all the genealogies, all the big introductions. He's not talking to the Jewish audience. He goes straight for the Gentile audience. He removes everything that would not interest them. And he goes straight for the kill. And he says, Jesus, Son of God, Khatam. In chapter 2, verse 10, you get a little bit of a changeover, transition from son of God to son of man. Chapter 2, verse 10. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 14 times in the gospel, chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 13, and twice in chapter 14, he goes son of man, son of man, son of man. So you know for a fact that God is in the flesh, and he's suffering, he's struggling, he's living our life, he's going through your problems, he's struggling with people, he's struggling with sickness, he's struggling with curses around him, he's struggling with breakdowns, and yet he is victorious. Do not worry, I have overcome the world. So Mark addresses both Jews and Gentiles and he drops all the stuff of the Jewish leadership required. But he quotes this one from, the, from Isaiah the prophet. He says, Behold, I send my servant, my messenger, before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? Not Michael Jackson, John the Baptist. Michael Jackson. John the Baptist. He's talking about John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was sent six months prior to Jesus to prepare the people for the Messiah. To prepare the people for the Messiah. Now, why on earth would you want to do that? Why would you need a pre pre precursor? Why would you need an opening band? Why did John the Baptist have to come? And he dressed terrible. He had not been to the mall. He did not have a budget. He dressed terrible. In fact, he looked like Elijah. And people were like, oh. Ah, 400 years, there had been no voice from God, no prophet speaking. 400 years before that, Malachi had preached his last sermon and he took off. So everybody was very curious. Another prophet, they came running all the way from Judea and Vasankunj and Samaria and Jerusalem. And they came into the wilderness and they had no metro, no auto, no nothing. All of them came in drones and they came to listen to John the Baptist preach one sermon. Repent for the kingdom of God. Repent and be ready. So... John the Baptist prepared the people for salvation. And Jesus 
positioned the people for salvation. John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. And Jesus brought people into himself. He took on their sin and he finished the work. John the Baptist calls for repentance. Jesus provides sanctification. John the Baptist says you need to be like Jesus. Jesus makes you like Jesus. He gives you the power to be like Jesus. He's not a religion. He's not a religion. Gives you 10 things to do and say, Karo, ha, fail, ha, fail, fail, ha, fail, get out. Jesus says, I have done everything and you can take my report card and you can walk into heaven with my report card. Yeah, but it says Jesus Christ here. Yeah, no, don't worry. You are in that Jesus Christ. You are in Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, my sign is all you need. Get into heaven. John the Baptist called for repentance because without repentance, there is no salvation. And many of you have never repented. You've never repented. You call yourself a Christian, but you never said sorry. You claim you have forgiveness, but you never said sorry. There's never been a time in your life when you said, you know what, enough is enough. Jesus is Lord and I cannot be Lord as well. You know what, I can't keep on negotiating with Christ every morning. Every time I see something, someone and somewhere, I can't keep on making up my mind. Is Jesus going to be Lord or am I going to be Lord? Is Jesus going to be Lord or am I going to be? I can't keep doing that. Either he's Lord or I am. And if I am the Lord of my life, then... I take responsibility for my destiny. But if he's the Lord of my life, then he takes responsibility for my destiny. So repentance comes first. And many of you, you who call yourself believers, who call yourself followers of Christ, you can't remember a time in your life when you actually surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You never, ever said sorry for your sin. You're assuming everything is covered. You're assuming the bill is paid, but you never checked the bill. You never opened it to see how much it costs. And you are therefore not thankful. You are therefore not, uh, not grateful. Therefore, their praise doesn't erupt from your heart. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with a father who's an evangelist. My mother's a daughter of an evangelist. I grew up with the Bible being spoken and sung all around. I grew up with a Christian, what we call a Christian upbringing. But this black, dirty, filthy sinner had to come to terms with the cross and say, Lord, that's what my sin looks like, that's what you had to do to cover me. In that case of oh God, I deserve it. I deserve it. And I got right with God. I, gave, I saw the blackness of my soul and I got right with God. Brothers and sisters, you need that experience. And don't worry if it comes later. You need that experience. That's what makes you a Christian. Not being born in a home, family. Not being baptized. Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Not coming to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. When the, when the light of God shines through your heart, you realize the darkness, of, uh, uh, the darkness of your own sin, the darkness of your heart, and you invite the light of Jesus in it, and he opens it up. You see the gunk, he cleans it up, and he sets you free from the things that you have bonded. That's when you are truly transformed. Brothers and sisters, repentance comes first, and then salvation. Repentance comes first and then salvation. So, John the Baptist, you're going to come, you're going to preach, and you're going to get everybody ready for the king of kings. When he comes, you're going to point to him, and you're going to back off. You're going to back off. You follow him. You follow him. He must increase. I must decrease. You follow him. Hey, John, all your disciples, your popularity is decreasing, man. Your likes are decreasing. Your followers are decreasing. Everybody's going to Jesus. Well, that's what it's for. That's what it's for. The, the, the groomsmen, the groomsmen, it takes, takes the glory. The best man steps back and gives the groomsmen the glory. That is what 
John the Baptist was all, of, all about. So how do you repent? By confessing your sins. Verse 5. By confessing your sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt. Please don't do that. But that's what he did. Around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. What was this all about? It was part of a Nazarite vow. It was part of a Nazarite vow. Those who are completely separated for the work of God. It's Nazarite vow, simple minimalism, convenient for the wilderness life, but most probably, most recognizably like Elijah. People will be like, oh, he looks like Elijah. And he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So there's a picture of humility where John is basically elevating Jesus and getting out of the way. Let me close with verse eight. I have baptized you with water, John says. I have baptized you with water, but he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let me close with that. Okay, I have baptized with you water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what was the baptism of John? Now, it was an Old Testament baptism, and people knew what he was talking about. There was water there, and when you went into the water, you were essentially doing that as a ritual or as a ceremony or as an act of showing that you are repenting. You don't stand there with a the mic and tell everybody all your sins. Nobody wants to hear that either. But when you go into the water and you, you are baptized, that's John the Baptist's baptism. The Old Testament baptism. So you were showing them. So he had them, hundreds of hundreds were coming and getting baptized. And like that, the nation was being prepared for the Messiah to come. That is not our baptism. That is not the baptism you and I are baptized with. We repent by word. We repent by confession. We repent by telling, the, telling God we're sorry. We don't have to go into the water. We don't have to do anything about it. When we do that, for the contrite heart, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. The Holy Spirit comes into you. And he, God dwells in you and makes you holy and makes you his dwelling place. And puts his spirit in you as a seal, a down payment saying you are saved. You are fully saved. Now, when a person repents and confesses, he acknowledges Christ as Lord. When Christ becomes his Lord and the spirit is put in that person, as soon as it, he starts giving that person spiritual life. First of all, he brings his spirit to life. Now he's alive to you and he's alive to the spirit world. He's got eternal life and he's got temporal life. He's living with both right now dually. And he's got that. And the spirit of God comes and does that. As soon as he does that, you now want to tell the whole world that Jesus is the one who did that for me. Amen? Yes. So I'm going to get baptized. I go under the water like Jesus went into the ground to cover my sin and I come out like Jesus rose again. So our baptism is not the baptism of John the Baptist. Our baptism is a baptism of identification with Jesus. Jesus died for me. I'm dead with him. The Jeremy Dawson is dead with him. And what comes out of that water is Jesus in the flesh for you. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To him be glory and all the honor in my life, even forevermore. So I come out the water, not as any cleaner, not any more repentant, not any more saved. I was already saved, I was already repentant, but I am now publicly a disciple of Jesus. You get it? That's what baptism is all about. And all hell breaks loose when people get baptized. So be sure of this. Be sure of this, there is power in baptism. Many of you have not been baptized. And it's not about getting baptized. It's about identifying with Jesus. It's not about getting baptized. It's about identifying with Jesus. It's not about saying, oh, baptism Because that's judgment again. You just took something and made it a rule. No. Are you ready to identify publicly, publicly with Jesus? Because there are two types of followers. Secret followers and... 
So are you a wuss or a witness? Am I allowed to say that? And then he says, I have baptized you with water. So that takes care of the repentance. But Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is sanctification. Big word. It means he will set you apart. He will make you like Jesus. Do you struggle to be good? God gives you that ability. Do you struggle to pray? The Spirit of God gives you that ability. You struggle to walk with God? The Spirit of God will give you life. When your heart is far from God, the Spirit of God will draw you back. When you become dry, the Spirit of God will breathe revival into you. The Holy Spirit takes onus of you, onus on you and your spiritual life. Your spiritual life comes from the Holy Spirit. John's baptism prepared people for salvation. Christ's baptism provided people for salvation. John's baptism pointed people to Christ. Christ's baptism positioned people in Christ. First there is salvation, then there is sanctification. Where do believers get their spiritual life from? How do you get the strength to say no to sin? Where does the joy of the Lord come from even when life around you is falling apart? Where do you get the determination to live for eternal purposes when you can't barely make the week's purposes? How to run back to God after a season of backsliding? Who can get you out of that slump and get you back in a warm walk with God and a hot state with God? What makes you desire revival and freedom from sin? What makes you hate sin around you? What makes you love people who are unlovable? What makes you forgive? Who gives you the power to forgive people who have a pain in the neck? Don't point at them. Jesus does by putting his spirit in you. And he doesn't ask anything from you that he does not provide to you. Amen. Never does he ask anything from you that he does not provide for you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only God... Jesus is the only real one with the only real power who says, I have authority in heaven and earth. Go. He's the one who says, come to me. He's the one who says, are you frustrated? He's the one who says, are you sick? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. So I invite you this morning to consider Christ. Let's work through the gospel of Mark with hunger to understand the life and mind of Christ. Let's prayerfully invite and bring people to witness the wonderful works of Christ. Let's read the book again and again and again until we know it as a whole and it permeates our being. Let's become part of Christ's comprehensive reclamation of creation, starting with ourselves, our children, and our homes. Be more Christ-like at the end of the Gospel of Mark than you started with. Make that commitment right now. Let me give you 30 seconds to be quiet in his presence. Make a commitment right now. Let Mark's Gospel be a journey not something this pastor is preaching on Sunday morning. Make it your journey with me and God will do great things.